Why was there no appetite for any form of dialogue with us, even though we had been calling for it since day one? But they wouldn't answer. They, none of our lawyers would ask the question. They said, because it's not relevant. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freedom Feature. And I'm your host, Barry Bussey. Uh, remember to like, comment, and subscribe to our channel uh, so that you keep informed. And with us today, we have Tom Marazzo. Tom, it's great to have you back on the program. Yep, thanks for having me again. You know, Tom, I've been spending this last weekend going over uh, Rulo's report. You were there. You were at the commission every day. Mm -hmm. What is your impression of what Justice Rulo uh, gave us in his report? It is not surprising, but yet simultaneously shocking. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. And I didn't know that it was possible to be uh, at two ends of the emotional spectrum at the same time. And I and I think really what it boils down to, so there's, there's two issues for me with, with the report. Mm -hmm. One is the finding. One is that one line in in the the report or his public statement where he said that the uh, government met the very high threshold, uh, and I take absolute mm -hmm. exception to that. I think that is mm -hmm. uh, completely false. I, I couldn't agree more or disagree more with him. Uh, but mm -hmm. then when you get into the details, and I haven't read the two thousand pages of this report, I haven't right. read it all, obviously. I don't think anybody has yet. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, I'd almost be surprised if Rouleau himself read every word in that report. Mm -hmm. So I, I think he talks out of both sides of his face, to be mm -hmm. blunt about it. On one hand, he'll he'll give a point, and then he'll contradict the point. Mm -hmm. And I noticed this back and forth through a lot of what I've read. On one hand, like there there are cherry picking sort of arguments out of convenience. And, you know, where you'll support the law enforcement on one argument and then you'll completely disagree <laughs> with the law enforcement on another. As an example, the OPP superintendent, Pat Morris, his testimony was, in my opinion, his testimony was exceptionally well given. Mm. I, I thought that from his perspective, I thought he was as fair as he possibly could have been. And yet, you know, he made a statement where he says that he was shocked at the lack of violence that took place from the protesters during the convoy. And mm -hmm. yet, Rouleau himself in the report directly called out Morrison and said he disagreed with that assessment. Wow. And, and I, and so like back and forth, there are so many examples of this in the report where, you know, he, he supports the police on one hand and then he goes against them in another. You know, but but here's the big issue for me. I've yet to see anything in the report. And like I said, I haven't gone through it, but I haven't seen any big full-on address of why the people of Canada felt that they needed to go to Ottawa in the first place. And it right. wasn't just the ones, it wasn't just the ones that showed up to Ottawa. It was the thousands of supporters that were lining the highways from coast to coast to support the truckers. Why is it that, you know, in grand total, there was $10 million raised by GoFundMe, which mm -hmm. was then refunded. And then another, I think 12 million, if you include the crypto, 
was again donated to the convoy i mean how can you say that it is a fringe minority how can you say that the public didn't want this because you know what in reality the convoy in less than a week raised more money to support that convoy than did the entire federal members of parliament on every single political party for the last election mm. that convoy raised way more money than the political figures did in this country and yet they sit there and they ignore the fact that no it wasn't a small fringe minority it was a huge huge percentage of the population in this country that supported that the second issue for me is i you know and i was screaming at the lawyers the whole time during the commission and they sat me mm -hmm. down it got so bad i ended up having to concede and then i did a one of my monologues and i talked about what the relevance of the commission was mm -hmm. and it is it is basically you know I'm arguing with Keith and Eva, or what well, Keith, Eva, and Bathsheba and Brandon, like, say this, ask this. And they're like, dude, it's not relevant. I'm like, what do you mean it's not relevant? Right. So there was this emotional attachment I had to certain people being questioned on, on certain things. Right. Mm -hmm. And I would always say to them every day, I said, ask that person, ask that witness when you go up, like for Miller time. And I, I hope you and your viewers know what Miller time was. When Miller goes up, I would always say, ask him why he didn't, or she didn't want to talk to the protesters. Why was the default every step of the way at every level of government to move immediately to law enforcement action? Why was there no appetite for any form of dialogue with us, even though we had been calling for it since day one? But they wouldn't answer. They, none of our lawyers would ask the question. They said, because it's not relevant. I'm like, right. what do you mean it's relevant? And they say it's, re it's relevant to your emotions, but it's not relevant to the terms of, or terms of reference for the commission, which yeah. was you know, to investigate the government, not to investigate the convoy. It was to investigate the steps that brought us to the invocation of the act. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it boiled down to, for us, this was what our lawyers were, were viciously fighting to get across, which was, did this meet section two of the CSIS act? Yes or no. Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, then by the legislation, you had no right to invoke the act. Right. And I sat there in the last, uh, I think, second last day when one of the lawyers had him from the JCCF asked one of the cabinet ministers, and I can't remember which cabinet ministers it was because they all started to blend in uh, sure. from one to the other. And Haddam had asked this cabinet minister, they said, and they brought up section two of the CSIS Act, and they walked through the four steps and Rouleau himself I thought I missed it. I thought I heard the wrong thing, but I didn't because I went back and I watched it. But Rouleau himself said to Adam, you've only got 10 minutes. Are you sure you want to waste your time going through each of those four sections of Section 2 of the CSIS Act? It's already been well established that they didn't meet the threshold. And I was sitting there with my jaw on the floor and I was looking around like, am I the only one who heard him say that? And I thought, okay, it's done. It's over. Like he even Rouleau just acknowledged that they didn't mm -hmm. meet the section two of the CSIS Act. So I had this, this huge hope 
that the report was going to come out and say, you know what, I, I'm sorry, uh, but you didn't by the legislation, you didn't meet the conditions to invoke it. But the other side of me, the pessimist to me thought, okay, you, he was probably going to say uh, that it was, although they didn't meet the legislative requirement under section two of the CSIS Act, it was understandable and mistakes were made. So we understand why they did. So, so I was feeling that they, that's how it was going to roll. He was going to mm -hmm. say, you didn't meet the standard. However, it was understandable why you did it. And now it's okay. But that's not what it said. That's not mm -hmm. what it said at all. And I, and I, and I, it's like a referee, you know, when you scream at a referee and you say, what game are you watching? Because <laughs> that's not what I just saw. Yeah. And I, I, I look at this and I think you openly acknowledged it, that they yeah. didn't meet the conditions. And your report now says that they met the high threshold. And, and it reminds me of the, the CSIS guy. Go ahead. I, I'm, I've been. No, no, I, just hold your thought. And he did say that he, uh, he, he holds that they reached it with, he, with reluctance. He says that, <laughs> which again, to further your point you made earlier, is like he's walking on two sides of the road at the same time. Yes. And this is why I think a lot of people are so very frustrated because they see, you know, what part did the political realities play in yeah. his decision? And and we, we, we can open that up uh, some more. But OK, go go back to you, CSIS. Well, the CSIS, uh, the head of CSIS, I think David Vignon, he mm. he testified and it was a really fascinating um, <laughs> thing to watch, in fact, because he wasn't up there alone. He had his colleagues that were up there. They were all being cross-examined together. Mm -hmm. But we brought into evidence the, the memo that he had given to the federal government, to, to the mm -hmm. Liberal Party, and said, look, I, we recommend you do not use the Emergencies Act because what you will do is... One, basically, you can't predict what the outcome is going to be. And they were they were citing IMVE, right? Ideologically motivated or motivated extreme violence or extremist violence. He said, you're going to frustrate the public, basically, to the point where you're now going to create IMVE within mm. Canadian society. So we recommend you don't do it. And yet he's on the stand, he's testifying and... Brendan goes through all the stuff with him, Brendan Miller. And, and it's almost like the entire time, like he's agreeing with Brendan. He's agreeing, he's agreeing, he's agreeing. Yes, 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 yes. And then he says, so then you would agree with me that you they shouldn't have invoked the Emergency Act. And Vigno says, no, they should have. <laughs> it's like, you've agreed with everything I've said. You yeah. never needed it. You actually recommended in a memorandum to the government that they don't do it. And now you're sitting here on the stand saying, oh, we should have done it. I, I don't get it. And then you see Jody uh, Thompson, I think she's the uh, national security and intelligence advisor. And she was saying, you're looking through it at it through the lens of CSIS. We're looking through it from the lens of cabinet or right. through a different lens. It's like, is it the law or not? Is it black and white? Is it that vague that it's that subject interpretation where you now feel that you've got the justification to kind of rewrite or redefine English words? 
Mm -hmm. um, it's right there. Like you can't look at it from two different lenses. It is, mm -hmm. or it is not. That's, it's very, very binary. Um, yep. And yet, you know, they've, they all acknowledge every single police force that was cross-examined all said they did not need the government to invoke the emergencies act. Everything was within their powers of policing. Right. You know, you know yeah, I, I, here's my theory of the case, as it were, the office of prime minister is a very powerful office and it is mm -hmm. the most powerful office in this country. Yeah. I hold the view that our form of uh, prime ministerial ship, as it were, is in fact kind of a, an elected monarch mm. where the prime minister, when he speaks or she speaks, things happen. So they're responsible for appointing all the ambassadors, all of the, the government agencies, all of the government corporations have an, he ha, or she has an influence on. And when the prime minister has a goal that he wants to meet, like what we saw in the Jody Wilson-Raybould case with mm -hmm. the SNC-Lavalin. Yes. Everyone is to dance and according to his tune. And if you do not, you're going to be ousted. And so mm -hmm. people have an invested interest to make sure that they follow what the prime minister says. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that in this case, it became very clear, even on his evidence, that from the very beginning, he thought about the Emergencies Act, he, he testified. And it seemed very clear, I think, from those who were around the prime minister that this was the preferable route. But mm -hmm. the problem was, as you so well articulated, they did not meet that definition. So then no. it became important for them to come up with a theory or basically a legal theory as to how they can get the Emergencies Act invoked, and they use this idea that the it's a difference between the political realities of cabinet and deceases concerns, the idea mm -hmm. of you know national threat, national security, and so forth. And it is through that theoretical rationalization that they were able to come up with this theory that ultimately, it seems, that Rulo accepted. And that's what's so, I think, very dangerous. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Because, you know, right from the very beginning, I think as early as the 27th of January, they were already considering, cabinet ministers were already considering the Emergencies Act, right from the very beginning. Mm. And, you know, they said on one hand, well, we only think they'll be here for three days. And then they were already talking about the Emergencies Act on the very first day, like on the 27th. Convoy hadn't even arrived in, in full force uh, right. until the 28th. But that's how soon. And there was testimony that was written or uh, read out in the, in the commission from one of the PMO staffers saying, hey, don't let's not have the media put too much pressure on the convoy as they're arriving here because we don't want to push the crazies out. So in other words, they were saying we want the, the people that are more, more well-known, more controversial people that we can paint in a bad light in the media so that when they do arrive, we've got this built-in justification, 
right? Mm -hmm. And and yep. listen, I, I've met Pat King. I have no animosity with Pat King at all. I like him, you know, but he's a controversial guy. And he has mm -hmm. said a lot of things in the past that did come back to haunt him and the convoy. But I'm thinking they're, they were happy to see people like Pat King, who are so controversial, coming with the convoy so that they could use Pat King as an example to justify the Emergencies Act. So right. I agree with what you're saying is that they knew they didn't have it, but they fabricated a justification. And I think somebody, I, it might actually be uh, Jeremy McKenzie, who said on a, on a live stream or on a recording the other day that the, the commission was really about fact-finding a justification for Trudeau's government. That's mm -hmm. what it was for. They, they took these extraordinary steps. They didn't have to, they shouldn't have, but we're going to use the commission to find justification for the Emergencies Act, as opposed to Trudeau himself being called into question, because it wasn't, you know, Trudeau was not being called into question. The convoy was. And that mm -hmm. was very, very evident throughout the entire, I would say the last four weeks of the commission, the convoy was on trial. It wasn't, or, you know, court of public opinion. It was, it was the convoy. It wasn't Trudeau. You know, we see this, this report and I, I'm, I'm so concerned about this report and what is going to be the second, third, fourth order effect on the, on this country. It's not a, it's not a courtroom. It's not legally binding. We can't appeal. It's not a judicial review, which is section 62 under the, uh, the act, but, and those things I'm happy to see are going to go forward. But I think what's going to be difficult is this report is going to probably have an impact on other cases and in particular, mm -hmm. possibly is going to be harmful for all of the people that participated in the convoy that are now facing criminal charges. Mm-hmm. So that's a big concern here too. Yeah, uh, I think you're absolutely right. You know, one of the things that we saw from early on, as soon as it was announced, that the terms of reference were made, if you look look at them, they were definitely made in with the eye of exonerating the prime minister uh, for the decision he made. Yes. And it's something that we noted uh, right from the beginning, certainly uh, uh, former Newfoundland Premier Brian Peckford, for example, mm -hmm. on his blog mentioned it numerous times. And and sure enough, that's exactly what we got. The, mm -hmm. the problem is, is that we have, again, a very powerful office that gets to control the narrative, that gets to, um, you know, people can say what they like, but... Uh, the reality is when the prime minister's own budget is supporting the mainstream media to such a, an extent that it is, it's very hard to bite the hand that feeds you. And yeah. we we see that uh, playing a role. We look at uh, Justice Rouleau's report, and he's just constantly pointing out things, for example, the violence. And he's using Coots, Alberta. He's using uh, other avenues and, and, you know, even raising the idea about the, uh, you know, the guns being found out in Coots, Alberta, which, you know, you, if you if you do any research at all, from what I can gather, it wasn't even on site, but it was in somebody's house. Yes. And uh, for which the, the police then said, oh, well, we found this uh, in Coots, Alberta at the mm -hmm. uh, at the site. And, and Rouleau actually said that he said it was there on site. And, and that's not how 
uh, from the newspaper reports that I've seen anyhow, and I've read through, uh, that no, this this came out of somebody's house, and 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 that wasn't acknowledged, uh, but yet it was used as part of the justification for the prime minister. Then you look mm -hmm. at okay, so how is this violent? How was what happened in Ottawa violent? Well, it was violent if you listen to Christian Freeland when she appeared before the committee and. She talked about a young lady that she saw that jumped and was startled when the when the trucker horn blew, and then she gave an obscene gesture. Was the words used by Christian Freeland, and and she was saying, "Well, you know, just 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 think about what was happening and how this, you know." And and I'm like, okay, but does that then justify the most dictatorial powers that this country can impose and and the prime minister can use? Well, no, it doesn't. And it's not a national threat. And so to see this all taking place, like you say, you can't help but be concerned about the future. Yeah. And I mean, we know from the testimony that was presented during the commission that both Windsor and Coots were ended before mm -hmm. the invocation of the Emergencies Act. So the only issue at hand when they invoked it was what was going on in Ottawa. Ottawa. And so how can you say, how can you possibly say that the extraordinary measures or at least section two of the CSIS Act to see in particular was, was actually that they met the very high standard or threshold to meet the conditions for invoking. You can't. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they talk about the economic impact of the convoy, which is just stunningly ridiculous to me. Yeah. What about the economic impact? of uh, these unscientific mandates over there, you know, since the very beginning of COVID. We knew if anyone is interested, they can look up tired Lieutenant Colonel David Redmond, who talked about this at length, had been emailing. He was the former head of emergency management, Alberta, retired military, involved in emergency management planning for the province and involved in the government, very experienced person saying, we knew before the pandemic struck, that the last thing that you should be doing, and this is WHO policy, which is held up as gospel, but the WHO's policy mm -hmm. before the pandemic came out and said, you never mask, you don't social distance, and you don't lock down your economy or your people. You don't harm your economy. You find those most vulnerable, you protect them, and then you make a plan, but you continue on. Mm -hmm. But yet these unscientific mandates were, were you know, they, they flew in the face of every recognized or recommended policy from the WHO. They still did them. They've destroyed this economy. And now they're saying that the trucker convoy is what caused the impact of the economy. Give me a break. Even in Windsor, there was multiple avenues to get over that border crossing. It wasn't just one. And by the way, there was a lane open on the Windsor bridge. It wasn't shut down completely. So that's not even a valid argument. But you know, all of the things at the end of the day, it doesn't, there's, there's two things, a couple of things I want to say about this. We had no economic impact on anything. In fact, the people of Ottawa made money when the convoy was there because our truckers were spending money in the city. I sat in a meeting with the city manager and all the board of directors, the lawyers, and Chris Barber asked the city manager, hey, why did you guys shut the businesses down? because we want to actually support your local business and shop in your stores. Why did you guys do that? Why did you guys, the government, shut down the Rideau Center? Because we didn't, we would have gladly shopped in there. 
Okay, so there was no economic impact to us. And whatever money we were making, those local businesses that decided to stay open had the best revenue stream that they've ever had in the previous two years before the convoy. So, mm. you know, that, that argument, I think, is just it's total red herring. It's just meant as a distraction. But the other thing I want to say is this. This never had anything to do with COVID-19 or, or in, you know, vaccines or masks or mandates or anything. It always boils down to the rule of law. And it doesn't matter. It's not a conservative issue or liberal. It's not left, right, up, down. It's none of those things. It is about people saying, we have a system of government here. We have the rule of law in this country. And we believe that you're violating the rule of law. You're violating our rights. That's why we're really here. And it doesn't matter if it was the liberals this time. Because mm -hmm. if the conservative government was in power at the time of the, the, uh, the pandemic, there's no doubt in my mind that conservatives would have done the exact same thing to the people of Canada. There's no doubt in my mind. If you look across the, the country, a lot of the premiers come from conservative parties and look at the horrific things they did too. So it's not about left and right. It's about the citizens saying, we're supposed to be in charge of you guys. We elect you to represent, not to lord over us. So we're mm -hmm. here because we know for a fact you're violating our charter rights. And so that's why we came here on this particular issue. And what we all know is you set the precedent to do it under the guise of a pandemic or a vaccine. Well, what's next? We know the climate lockdowns. There's all this talk about 15-minute cities. There's all these other issues that they have now set the precedent to move forward and do it. And what mm -hmm. I find particularly disturbing are the people that are collaborating with the Liberal Party of Canada that are deliberately standing in front of our way, helping to fight and defend their charter rights and freedoms while they deliberately attack us, hate us, do counter protest, go after us online on social media. And they're, they're basically collaborating with the, the federal government to their own demise. That's the part that I don't understand. They believe that we were protesting masks. They believe we were protesting vaccines. We were never. That's just, that's the symptom. That's not the cause. And there was never, there's not enough discussion in the commission when I was there. And I have yet to see enough of the discussion in the commission report to talk about what led the public to go to Ottawa in the beginning. There's some some language in there, but it's very soft. Mm -hmm. It's very soft. It's not on point. It's not strong enough. It should, that report should, in my mind, say the government of Canada set the conditions for millions of Canadians to be fearful in their own country. And therefore, after two years of protesting and not being heard, they went to the nation's capital. And you people couldn't take it for three weeks and you gave yourself extraordinary power that has never been given to a government before to squash people that a judge already, Justice McLean, already ruled prior to that, that we had a right to be there and to protest. So this is this is not about justice because this is not a courtroom. The, the public mm -hmm. was not seeking justice. What we were seeking was accountability. 
And I suppose that's a form of justice. Okay, Tom, I'm sorry. I have to I have to break in right now because our time is gone for this section. And I, I, I just wonder, if, is there a, a final comment you would like to, to leave with people right now? Yeah, and I think uh, the, the last thing that I want to say is go through and read the, the Rouleau report. Get the facts and find out for yourself how you feel about the, the report. Don't just rely on me and some of the other people that were involved. Go ahead and, and read some of it yourself and see what you think. Make a decision for yourself. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate you being with us. And so Tom is going to stay by and uh, with us for our next program. Uh, but in the meantime, I just want to thank you for being with us. Now, you may not agree with all the comments that are being made by my guests or by myself, but I thank you for being with us because here on Freedom Feature, we're interested in open, honest, and transparent dialogue. And until next time, I'm Barry Bussey. The fight for freedom consists not only in the legal battles in court, but also in the battle of ideas at the universities and in the media. It takes time, effort, and money to keep on top of the debates for freedom. Your donation allows us to keep fighting for all Canadians. Firstfreedoms.ca